Okay, everyone, welcome to the Respect the Math podcast brought to you by Reliable Tech Help. For all your IT needs, call Reliable Tech Help at 502-797-7399 or visit our website at reliabletech, that's T-E-K, help.com, reliabletechhelp.com. I'm your host, Digital David Snyder. Here at the Respect the Math podcast, we talk about everything from technology to business, science, popular culture, and more. Basically, the things that I'm interested in because I'm kind of selfish that way. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and podcast apps from Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, and others. Please interact with us online, and if you like what you hear, please subscribe and share our content. We'd love to hear from you. Today, our guest is Dr. Susan Brooks. Welcome. Hi. She is a physical therapist, and her, her practice is Dry Needling Relief. They're, they're located at uh, the corner of 64 and Blankenbaker, across across from the, the uh, South, Southeast Christian Church. It was hard to get that out. Hard to miss that as a landmark, right? Right. Yeah. Well, welcome to our show today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to, uh, to do this. Yeah, and we're going to talk about physical therapy, and specifically... It, Um, something you uh, do a lot of called dry needling, right? Correct. Tell us about your background, how you got into physical therapy, and then dry needling, and how you can help people. Yes. Okay. So um, I actually, when I went to college, I changed my major four times Mm. because I didn't quite know what I wanted to do, but I was really into fitness, and I actually was dating a guy who was going to go into physical therapy, and I knew nothing about it. And I thought, hmm, that's something that sounds like I want to do. So I did a little more research um, and realized that's my path that I wanted. But I had to change colleges in order to do that. I was paying for my own college at that time, and I couldn't really afford to go to another college that was more expensive. Mm-hmm. So I joined the Air Force. Oh, I didn't know so, that. So, yep, I was in the Air Force for four years uh, and did meteorology. <laughs> so, really? Uh, but my plan was to get college paid for because uh, PT school is very expensive. And so I did that for four years, got out, um, ended up applying to Northern Illinois University, got into their program, graduated, um, and I actually was in Illinois where I practiced for a couple years. Then I moved to Maryland and I practiced for a few years there. And then here in Kentucky for the past 12 years. Wow. Let's back up. The Air Force, you you studied meteorology in the Air Force? Yes. Really? At a college or in the Air Force Academy or something like that? No, in in the Air Force. Uh, So I was enlisted and they they take you through tech school and you can do something what they call fast tracking as well and uh, become do more forecasting. Yeah. So that's great. Two things. Thank you for your service, by the way. Thank you. We respect everybody who serves and our first, first responders, et cetera. Uh, Second thing is, yeah, you have to be very smart to do meteorology. I took a class and it's equal parts science and biology and physics and astronomy. It's in chemistry too, right? It it is, but it, it actually helped me with becoming a physical therapist because physical therapy is a lot of science based as well. So it, it kind of, um, yeah, led over into that as far as the educational background. Perfect. So you did the four years in the Air Force, learned meteorology, and then you went to Northern Illinois University and got a bachelor's degree in physical therapy or biology? or I got a, no, my bachelor's degree is in health science. My master's degree was in physical therapy, but then I went back to school to get my doctorate. They didn't have a doctor degree back then. They were just starting to transition into uh-huh. that. So I actually went back to school to get my doctorate degree. Perfect. 
And so tell us about your after um, education experience. Did you start your own practice quickly quickly, or did you work for another practice? How did you get your experience after getting educated? So 18 years of um, actually working for other companies, running actually their business for them. I became a clinical director when I was in, um, just before I left Illinois, uh, clinical director in Maryland, and then when I moved here in Kentucky, I've been a clinic. I was a clinical director for many years. My last um, clinical job was I worked for a company for nine years, opened two clinics for them before I decided to go out on my own and do my own um, practice. So you know the business side too. Yes. Wow. Now while you were doing this business side of the um, the industry, were you also practicing or? focusing solely on running, running these businesses? No, I had to see patients and run business. Okay, good. That's <laughs> so, what I figured. I wanted to clarify that. Yeah, yeah, I had to do both. Okay, so 18 years of both practicing and building business it, businesses and managing people and making payroll and budget and all that kind of stuff, right? Correct. Wow, that, that's, that's some pretty uh, um, solid credentials for what you're doing now, right? Yeah, and it, but it really helped me out going into my own business. So having that background um, on how to run a business and meet budgets and stuff like that, it did really help, help me out. Yeah, so you've certainly paid your dues. You've seen both the um, practitioner side and the business side. That brings us to present day. How long has your pr- practice been in existence? So I've been in practice for my own business a little over a year. Okay. And um, did you get burned out with working for other folks or just wanted to try something new or what led you to t- I take did. that leap? Yeah. I got the, the PT burnout, which, yeah. uh, which a lot of medical practitioners do. They get the burnout because <clears throat> two things, insurance-based and, and just running a business trying to make money. So insurance um, dictates in the medical field on how many patients we see and how much we get reimbursed. Mm -hmm. So we end up trying to see more and more patients in a, you know, a given time period during a day, cram them all in in order for us to make our overhead and, and, you know, pay bills and all that. And what I found was that was making me as a practitioner, as a clinician, less of a, less effective. Sure. So I was trying to see five patients at one time. The insurance company would not reimburse for certain things. They don't reimburse certain insurances like Medicare don't reimburse if you see more than, you know, one or two patients at a time. You can't make your overhead. So I was really doing the what most physical therapists end up doing in that kind of field is you're just running people through. It, it's almost like a, um, um, what do they call it, like, you know, just factory farming, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, and you, you throw them on a, on a bike and say, here, get on the bike for 10 minutes. It's going to help yeah. loosen you up. And that's just because we need time to go work on someone else. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So that, that when I went through COVID, which, you know, we all had where we either got laid off or we lost our jobs or, you know, we just had to quit in general. My clinic, we closed for two weeks. That's because the governor said that outpatient physical therapy was not essential. Mm. He then came back and said, no, (laughs) it is essential. So I was able to get back into the clinic and see patients, but it had to be emergent patients only. So basically post-op. Emergency, in other words? Yes. Okay. 
And so I was seeing patients. I, I had laid off my staff, and I hadn't brought them back yet because the amount of patients that I could see, I could see by myself. Okay. So um, I was, during the two weeks that I was off, and my patients still needed to be seen. They couldn't just go home and do nothing. They just had knees knee surgery or shoulder surgery or back surgery or whatever. So what I did is I uh, I would go see them um, pro bono. Oh, wow. And, and you know, I made sure I, I asked the uh, the company I worked for, you know, is this legal? Can I do this? And, yeah. and, you know, am I covered? And they're like, yeah, that's fine. So I went and saw my patients, and I loved the freedom of making my own schedule, uh being able to drive and go see patients and see them in the time frame that I thought that they needed. Mm-hmm. And so then when COVID, when we were able to come back from COVID and get started again, that's when I kind of really hit that burnout level where I was, I really wanted to be able to treat patients. What I got into physical therapy for in the first place yeah. was to treat patients as a whole person and not just a body part as quickly as I could because I need to get somebody else in. Yeah, a unit of production, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you got a taste of that, um, what it could be, right? Right. You could get a, a, a personal level of service and much more um, specific care to each patient that they needed, right? Right. You, you think in that sense COVID um, was an opportunity for you, right? Because you wouldn't have done that had you not been shut down for two weeks, right? Right. I think it was a, I think it was a really great opportunity um, it really helped me open my eyes. I had people in the past, I had patients saying, you need to do a concierge where you need to come to our house or, you know, that would be great. And of course, you know, I was like, oh, no, 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 that, you know, I, I don't know how to do that. That wouldn't work. I couldn't. And so when COVID hit, it really said, I can do that. Mm-hmm. There is a way to do that. Yeah. So that little two week window was, was enough for you to get a taste of what it could be. And now you have your practice today Correct. as a result of that, right? Yes. Yeah. One thing that comes through and the way you're talking is how animated you are and the smile on your face when you're talking about your patients, the people that are the best at what they do have a personal stake in the outcome, right? right. You're not just processing people through uh, to get enough in your office to set your income goal or make your income goal. You genuinely care about these people, right? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. I love my patients. I, I always say I have the pa- best patients in the world. Yeah. And, uh, and they respond well. They listen to what, you know, my guidance. Um, and, yeah, and it, it just really, I love to see how people come to me in pain and dysfunction, and then they leave feeling better, and they go, I can get back to running again, or I can get back to golfing, or I can wake up in the morning without being in excruciating pain. Yeah, the reward is awesome, right? The payoff. Oh, yes. And then when you see people invest in the process themselves, do the stretching, do the the things that you recommend for them to do, mm-hmm. and you, um, you see that in result, it's got to be very rewarding and uh, makes it worth it, right? Yes, very much. You mentioned the concierge model. Is that your current business model? Yes, yeah, so I kind of have a two... I can. When I first started, I was doing concierge as far as I would go to the patient. Again, coming out of COVID, people didn't really want to go into a medical office, so I would go to them. And that worked out really well in the beginning and getting my name out there and helping people out. But it's, since then, I have a, an office that I can bring people to, so I still do a little bit of at-home care, but then some people will come into the office as well. So I, I have both for whoever, you know, it, whatever their preference is. 
you mentioned insurance earlier. You saw it running a business while practicing for 18 years. Don't you almost have to have like at least one full-time person in your office just handling insurance stuff? I mean, it's so complicated and bureaucratic, right? Yes. Yeah. I had, so we have billers, you know, people who do all the billing. um, And then, of course, your front office staff who schedules patients and stuff. The billing aspect of it for the insurance. So I don't take insurance anymore. Mine's a cash-based business, so mm-hmm. I, take, I tell my patients I take everything but insurance. Mm-hmm. But I do what is called a super bill, and what the super bill is is it has all of the codes that I would turn into the insurance company that the patient can turn into the insurance company hmm. themselves. And I have in patient, for reimbursement, I guess, or? for reimbursement really? or that'll that'll go toward their deductible, their out okay. of pocket, anything like that. It depends on the insurance and the plan that the insurance sure. has whether or not they'll do that or not. Yeah. So I always tell my patients, you can turn this in. I am not guaranteeing that they'll do anything, yeah. but you can try for that. And I've had patients that. They'll, they'll get it. It'll go toward the deductible. Some will get 50% reimbursed. Some of them will say, you know, I've had to, well, they want this. Now they want this. Now they want that. And I go, welcome to my world yeah. of they constantly want something different. And if there's the slightest bit difference on a super bill that they don't like, they want it corrected. Right. So it goes back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. And so the burden of negotiating with and dealing with the insurance companies as something you don't want to deal with anymore. Um, you're offering a, a hybrid model here. Um, not only can you see someone in your office, you can also go to them, but you can also ha- have them pay cash in the concierge model and po- possibly qualify for reimbursement or um, dollars towards a deductible for their insurance plan, right? Correct. We mentioned the concierge model. Let's not assume everybody knows what that is. Can you explain that briefly? So concierge can mean a couple different things. Um, some people think that it, you know, you pay like a, a yearly uh, fee and then you um, get in as much as you want. In the physical therapy world, um, the concierge is, is more of I am able to, again, offer home care or office care or uh, even telehealth um, over the Internet. You know, I can I can diagnose and help people that way. Or I also have, again, the amount of time that I want to be able to spend with you to help you is what I'm going to use. So you might need a 30-minute session. You might need an hour session. You might need an hour and a half session. I am going to give you what you need to fix and help, you know, um, with any ailments, dysfunction that you have. Is there a general pay model that you can talk about, or is it too specific based on each client to talk about you know, because I, I had a um, friend tell me the other day, her concierge doc- doctor, she pays $59 a month, and that's all she has to pay. She can go see her as much as she wants. Yours probably isn't that simple, right? Is it more s- specific case by case? Yes. Okay. So we have what we call plan of cares. So someone might come in for their initial visit, and I do a what I call a total body assessment. It's a head to toe. You might come in and say, I have back pain. But I'm going to check your neck, your shoulders, your mid-back, your low back, your hips. And then from there, I do a plan of care. And I say, okay, uh, this is what I see is going on with you. And this is how many visits that, in my expertise opinion, my expert opinion, that would take to help fix that problem. Mm -hmm. So people buy more of plan of care for me 
than uh, than just um, you know a one off or right okay. right yeah and so does it typically typically cost them less than going with uh, an alternative model a traditional traditional insurance fee based model or how does that work so if if someone looks at how much they pay for their insurance. Um, and then their deductibles, and then their co-pays. Really, doing cash-based is cheaper. Okay. In the insurance uh, world of physical therapy, the patient is, we are told that, that they have to be seen two to three times a week. And a lot of that is through Medicare. Medicare kind of sets the standard. Mm-hmm. Patients don't always need to be seen that often. Yeah. Um, if they're uh, a chronic issue, meaning they've had something going on for maybe three months or more, they're going to need longer term care, but it doesn't necessarily need to be every week or two to three times a week. Mm-hmm. So for me, I usually see patients once a week for anywhere from six to 15 weeks, mm-hmm. because I know that their body has to adjust from what I am fixing what I'm helping to get to, their body has to adjust to that and then come back. And then I, it's like little baby steps here. Let's, let's fix this problem. Let's get your body adjusted to this. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't revert back to the dysfunction, which is comfortable for your body. So they're probably going to save money and they're going to get a much higher level of care. Yes. Personalized care. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and as far as, um, the plan of care, it just depends on what I'm doing. But the other thing is, is I can do whatever I need to do during that time spent with you, ultrasound, uh, electrical stimulation, dry needling. Cause I, I do it all. It's not just dry needling. Um, but I found that dry needling really helps my patients. So that's usually, that's my big focus. And you're not handcuffed by the insurance company, right? Correct. Because dry needling really isn't covered by a lot of insurances. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's segue into dry needling. Is that the primary um, uh, service you offer your clients or is it, talk talk to us about that. Talk to us about that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I get most of my patients because of my name, Dry Needling Relief. Okay. So most people find me because they've either heard about dry needling, someone's told them that they need to try dry needling. So when patients come to me, that's what they're expecting. Not everybody needs that. But I would say probably 99% of my patients do get dry needled. The, The thing about dry needling, just, okay, so to back up a little bit, for people to know what dry needling is. Dry needling is the use of acupuncture needles. Now, it's not acupuncture, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but dry needling um, is using the thin needles to go into the muscle to help relieve trigger points, uh, tight muscles. Um, We can use it in um, actual joints to help increase um, blood flow into tendons and ligaments there's scar tissue all kinds of things inflammation i assume too it helps with inflammation uh once it calms stuff down and but the dry needling itself is most people come in they'll say i have an upper trap trigger point you know my shoulder's hurting me you can put a needle into that and it will release that muscle and therefore people have less pain overall Mm -hmm. So for me, for dry needling, and the reason why it's called dry needling is because it's not a, it's not a syringe. There's no hollow. It's, it's a solid 
uh, monofilament, mm-hmm. and there's nothing that's put in it. There's no painkiller or numbing agent, anything like that. That's why it's called dry needling. And it's been around since the 40s, um, and but it's just now making its kind of, I want to say, debut through the United States. It's mm-hmm. been over in um, all kinds of other countries, and um, but... So dry needling is really coming about, and people are learning about it more and more. So um, for my patients, again, dry needling is a modality that I use that really helps them along with all the other stuff, the manual um, therapy I do for maybe adjusting their joints, um, and then the ultrasound, e-stem, the exercises. Physical therapy isn't just exercise, which I get a lot of people thinking is, oh, I don't want to exercise, and that's what you're going to have me do. Yeah. Again, in the insurance world, it's all about, you know, getting them to exercise. But you do need to exercise. You do need to um, work on that dysfunction with those muscles in order to become functional again. But dry needling really helps to get you on that road, on that path. Yeah, we'll talk more about that in a minute. Can you, you mentioned acupuncture. How is dry needling different than acupuncture? That's a great question. People ask that a lot. Um, dry acupuncture i can't speak to exactly what acupuncture is because i'm not i'm i don't have any training in that um acupuncture follows the meridian line so i like to tell my patients you know if you have a headache they may put a needle in your hand and that's supposed to help get rid of your headache dry needling is is really for muscle dysfunction so if you have you know that that trigger point that tight muscle the um the needle can go in, release that that muscle, and the, the muscle in turn will heal itself and then come back into its uh, normal sarcomeres, which is um, part of the muscle, um, where it lines up mm-hmm. and it moves correctly. Um, a way I like to describe it is um, if, if you have a rubber band and you cut it so it's a straight line and you tie a knot in the middle, now, if you pull on one side of the rubber band, it stretches, but the knot just gets tighter. Mm-hmm. If you pull on the other side, again, it stretches on that side, but the knot just gets tighter. Mm-hmm. That's what your muscles do when you have a trigger point in the muscle or a tight muscle. You're not, you're stretching, but it's just that, that knot is just getting more and more tighter. That's a great analogy. So you're treating the knot essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. more of a local treatment, right? Yes, it's localized in whatever muscle, and I'm looking for that, but you don't always have to have the trigger point release, which is called a twitch. It's where the muscle just kind of twitches when you put a, um, a needle in it. Mm-hmm. We're not always looking for that. It'd be great if we, if we can find them, but the muscle in general will start to relax. <clears throat> Needles, and I think in acupuncture too, but again, I'm not going to speak to acupuncture Dry needling, when you put needles into the body, the body will in turn go from a sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight, so it's that tight muscle, to a parasympathetic nervous system state, which is a relaxed digestive state. And that's what we want. We want everything to just kind of calm down. Mm -hmm. So let's talk more about dry needling. What are the top four or five conditions you treat people for uh, uh, in, in using dry needling? Low back pain. Definitely number one low back pain. Um, Neck pain, that would be my second biggest one. Um, Shoulder pain, 
and hip pain. Okay. So those, we, go ahead. Sorry. Those, those are just kind of my big ones that I get people. So four there. examples of pain. I'm um, assuming that that's a constant theme in the, the treatment is relief of pain. Correct. Yes. I can vouch for the process. I've had it done, uh, had some knee pain, um, basically resulting from crouching and then standing up from a crouch position. It didn't bother me in any other way. And I had it done and two procedures later it reduced my pain by like 90%. Yes. It's virtually a non-issue. So I can vouch for the process and I can say it wasn't always fun when I had it done. Certain needles went in certain points. It was fairly painful, but it was totally worth it. Yeah. So what can people expect the experience of broad needling to be like? So I rarely have anybody complain of pain. When I'm doing the dry needling, um, I have, uh, it's more of a, where you have the prick of the needle, which is very, very mild, and then pressure. That's what everybody describes it to me, and when I've had it done myself, it's just this pressure that Mm -hmm. goes in. And depending on the area, I've had people say, oh, that's a really good pain. Mm. You know, it's just that that, that good pain. I I had a patient actually before I came here this morning that I did uh, TMJ, so I do um, needles more in the facial area. Oh, wow. And she said, she goes, wow. She goes, I know this is a weird way to describe it. She goes, but it feels like a pimple being popped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she said, just that pressure being released. Yeah. So she had really tight muscles in her jaws, and that pressure was able to be released. Well, I need to come to you next t- time because it was fairly painful for me my first go around. So apparently you're, you're doing it better. <laughs> we, you know, it, I, I've, I've been dry needling for nine years and I'm sure the people when I first started probably said that it was painful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, if you, if you've got the right technique and it generally is not painful. Yeah. How many visits typically does it take to start seeing some benefits from something like that? Most of my patients see a benefit within one or two visits. Now, I like to see them for a little longer than that because, again, your body has to adjust from the dysfunction of that muscle to a function. So I usually have patients anywhere from 6 to 15 visits, mm-hmm. depending on what's going, with, going on with them and how long they've had their issue. If they've had it for years, their, their body has now adjusted to that dysfunction, and now we have to retrain everything, and it's not going to be an overnight yeah, I heard a chiropractor once tell me, your treatment doesn't stop when the pain stops, right? Right. That's our that's our temptation is to be like, oh, oh, I don't feel the pain anymore, so I, I, don't, I don't need to get treated, right? Right. That, that's not true in your practice either, right? Right, right. Well, in us, I think as Americans, we like the quick fix. So we do want the, you know, the shot that'll fix it or the pill that'll fix it. And, uh, and that might fix it for a little bit, but... I always tell people that dysfunction is going to turn around and come back eventually, or it's going to manifest somewhere else because the body's going to find a way to um, the easiest route. Yeah. You mentioned four types of pain that are common. What are, what are some examples of um, uh, things you can treat that people might not think of? Dry needling could help. Okay. Yeah. Um, scar tissue. Uh, I currently have a patient right now that she has had 13 hip surgeries because she was born with hip dysplasia, so her hips weren't in the the socket, basically. Wow. Both both of them? Yes, both of them. So she has lived with pain for, you know, 30-some years, and she found dry needling, and I am dry needling her scars, 
And she uh, she's had, um, I'm going to say, two, maybe three visits. And in those visits, even after actually the first one, she said, I feel like I'm in my body again and my hips are moving better. Wow. And after this last one, she said, I could feel my actual muscles in my legs that were tight that I've never felt before because my hips were so tight that they would not move. Mm. And so scar scar tissue is great. Um, the uh, people who uh, women who've had uh, cesareans because that kind of pulls on your abdominal area. Mm-hmm. So scars, I can do scars. Um, again, TMJ for people who have the tightness, they clench their jaws at night. Mm-hmm. Plantar fasciitis. So if the bottom of their feet, you know, they they get up in the morning and it's like you know stepping on glass. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I actually, in April, I'm going for further training, and I'm going to have training in uh, the pelvic floor. Oh. So, is, that, is that strictly females or? No, oh, no. That's men too? Okay. Men too, yeah. Okay, pelvic floor. Tell us about that. Pelvic floor. So I'm excited about that. Pelvic floor um, dry needling can help with um, low back pain. So that... You know, your pelvic floor connects into your low back, so it can help with that. But it also can help with incontinence. Mm. Uh, It can help with uh, some uh, pain with sex. And for men, it actually can help with um, ED. Wow, sexual dysfunction too? Yeah, yeah. So because the pelvic floor can tighten up, and for people with incontinence, if if their issue is a really tight pelvic floor, the problem is, is it's not, you're not, again, correctly moving and so you jump up down your sneeze and you know yeah and, and you pee on yourself um but yeah it's it really helps with all those muscles down there that will relax so i'm excited to uh, that's cool to go get that training yeah so you're getting a certification for that and you'll be yes. able to offer that soon correct yes wow would you agree with the statement that our um our instinct is to treat these things as kind of isolated like i have knee pain but it doesn't work that way, right? Your knee is connected to your thigh, and your thigh is connected to your hip, and it affects your posture and all kinds of stuff, right? Yes, yes. How do you how do you see that uh, in your practice? So I again, yes, in the insurance based world, it was treat the body part. Maybe you can get a body part, like if it's your knee. Maybe I can get you know treat your hip. But in my practice, I'm able to see head to toe and go, okay, you're coming in with that knee pain. But you also have uh, weak hips, which is contributing to it, and your low back is tight. So I can treat all of it and you as a person instead of a part. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really like to do is treat you as a person, not as a body part. And I have more success with patients not having to continuously come back because they, you know, I fixed their knee pain. But then it really was come from their hip or, you know, the pain moved. I get people saying, well, the pain moved. It didn't move. It's yeah. just we fixed one area and we're, and we're getting to the root cause of it. Yeah, you cleared up a log jam. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, what are some other types of treatments that you complement your dry needling with to help people uh, recover from injury, um, reduce inflammation, help with scar tissue, that kind of thing? Are you doing adjustments also or is it more stretches? What type of uh, other services do you use? So I do uh, what we call manual therapy. 
Um, we don't call them manipulations because then we get into the chiropractor side of it. Terminology. Right, okay. right. We all overlap, and I wish we all just could, like, get together and, and just, I mean, we all have our specialties. But oh, we do, uh, as physical therapists, I, I do manual therapy. So I am um, adjusting the spine um, and making sure that it's aligned correctly. If it's not aligned correctly, then, you know, I can get the muscles relaxed, and then you still have issues. Um I do, um, I do home exercise programs. I still, you know, I believe in, in, and again, being a physical therapist, you do need to strengthen or stretch an area. And I can, if I do a joint mobile on a patient, I will show them some exercises. I try to keep it very minimal. Hey, go home and just do these. This will help. Um, I have uh, exercise programs that I do. I will stretch a patient out, especially if it's something that they have a little more difficulty with. I have um, older patients. Sometimes it's harder for them to stretch certain ways, so I will stretch them out. <clears throat> so um, stretching, exercise, uh, and the exercise program is actually specific to the patient. So I, I generally don't just give them like a, oh, here, just go do these exercises. I go, all right, you're Internal rotation is tight, so I'm going to give you an exercise to do that. Your low back is tight here, so I'm going to give you an exercise to do that. And I try to keep it five or less exercises because just studies have shown people don't really like, you know, you get too much, too much stuff to do, and they work gets in the way, life gets in the way, they don't have time. Yeah, realistic goals, right? Yeah, they're more compliant with if you only give them four or five exercises. Do you recommend any dietary or nutrition um treatments for your clients so um i do a little bit uh generally i will send you to a nutritionist but i do discuss people's um diet and what they're eating sugar is a big inflammation cause in people so i'll talk to people about well you know how's your sugar intake because they're having inflammation and they don't know why or they have overall inflammation over their body and sugar is a big thing, and they don't realize what sugar's in. You know, they're like, well, I don't drink sodas. Oh, that's great. You know, I don't eat ice cream. Well, that's great. But, you know, all that pasta you eat, all those breads, it's got a lot of sugar in it. So I do discuss a little bit of dietary with, with patients and kind of give them a little bit of guidance. But, as, but overall, I will send them out to a nutrition and a nutritionist or someone like that. Do you also outsource, um, like, yoga or, or exercise to a personal trainer or anyone like that? I'm glad you said yoga. I love yoga. I think yoga is the is the, one of the best things for any age mm-hmm. because um, it does help with extension of the body. And as um, human beings in, in uh, the technology world today, we're all hunched over. We all have this flexed posture. We're looking at our phones. We're looking at our computers. Um, and extension really opens up the body and really helps with posture and pain overall. So I will suggest yoga to patients. Um, I will send them some people to personal trainers that I that I know that are going to not overwork a patient <clears throat> that understands um, injuries better. But yoga is a big thing. I tell people to, to go to yoga class. And it's not a specific place that I send them to. Like, if you want to do it at home, you know, go to YouTube and find something there. If you want to go to a class, you know, go to a class and just talk to the instructors. Yeah. So with your practice, the obvious uh, walk-in customer, customers compl- 
playing some some type of pain, right? Correct. But do you also help um, like athletes get over like sports injuries or uh, just do maintenance on them so they can perform at their best? Do you do, do any of that kind of stuff? Yes. Yeah, so I do. I do have a what is called a wellness program, which is once a month that uh, patients can come into after they finished with their plan of care with me. But I also have. I do have some athletes. I have uh, some jujitsu uh, that do. Um, um, different competitions actually had a uh, WWE wrestler <clears throat> that was in town from Canada. Oh yeah, what's the name? Um, the well, I can't tell you his name. Oh, but <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Yeah, that uh, <laughs> doctor HIPAA. patient. Yeah, doctor right. patient confidentiality. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, uh, they were doing they were filming some kind of Netflix thing here, oh. and so that was interesting. But yeah, I, I get some um, some athletes. The, I would say my majority of patients, though, are between the ages of, I'd say, 30 and 65, and uh, men and women. And it's just people that, you know, they're, they're at work, they're doing their thing, they're having some pain here and there, they try to get back into the gym, they hurt themselves there. So um, that's more of what I get is, is just your average everyday, you know, I hurt and... Would you say so, someone who's tried other forms of pain management or therapy that haven't worked would be a good candidate to come talk to you, see if you can help them? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. So I tell, I, tell all, I tell people all the time, you don't need to run and get an MRI and an X-ray and an injection. Like try, try to, you know, go into a physical therapist or come in to see me first because I can help guide you to where you need to go if it's something that I can't help you with, I'm going to say you need to go to an orthopedic and you need to see this type. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people go to their uh, primary physicians, which is fine to place to start, but they generally, you know, they're going to colds, asthma, you know, they're going to take care of diabetes. They're going to in turn send you to someone else as well. When you go to, when you have an orthopedic problem, which is again, what I do, orthopedic meaning, you know, my shoulder hurts, my back hurts, my foot hurts. They're going to, in turn, probably send you to a physical therapist anyway mm-hmm. after they do an X-ray and an MRI. And, and if you're not a surgical candidate, again, I can say, well, this is something that you don't need to go run and have surgery for. So why go to them and then go to me and then go back to them? I'm trying to save you money and, and in turn, help heal you while you're, you know, maybe you do need to go see an ortho, but... You can see me in the meantime. Yeah, you're going to do what's right by the client. If that's you, great. If not, you're going to refer them somewhere else. Correct. You mentioned surgical candidates. That was my next question. In some cases, you you can help people avoid surgery, right? Yes. Yes. So rotator cuff uh, repair is a big thing that I talk to people about. You can have a tear. There are people that are rotator cuff dependent and rotator cuff independent, meaning you can be dependent on your rotator cuff. You can have the smallest little tear in your pain and you can't move your arm. Okay, we can see that. We know, you know, exercising and trying to strengthen that and dry needling and doing all that is not going to help you. You're going to have to get repaired. Most people, though, are rotator cuff independent, meaning you can have a tear, you can have a large tear, and all your other muscles, if you strengthen that and get everything stretched out the way it needs to be, then over time, you can continue to use that arm. You'll be in less pain. You won't have to have surgery. And will the um, injury repair itself over time if you do it right? 
the yeah. the injury again it depends on how big or small the tear is if it's a tiny little tear you can get um uh, scarring over it and that kind of repairs it per se uh, but if it's a large tear it's not going to repair itself but again you can train your other muscles to compensate for that and you won't need to have surgery take some of the stress off that area correct okay. interesting i know i know you're big on social media um, my next question for you was how, how did people get started just learning more about your practice uh, the services you offer and how, how you how you help them I'm assuming social media is a, a good place to start, right? Yes. Yeah, so I do have uh, Facebook and Instagram, uh, even uh, a little bit of TikTok, although I don't do much on it. Um, and then, um, and I always try to bring people from my social media to my website so they can learn a little bit more. But my um, my social media, I, I put a little bit on there about dry needling. And, and kind of try to educate people. I have a blog, so um, so that kind of goes out. But my social media is different exercises that they can do if they're having, um, you know, some kind of pain somewhere. A, a funny story. So I had a my 30-year class reunion a few months back, and I went there, and one of the guys that I went to high school with, his wife was there. And she came up to me and she said, you don't know who I am, but I know who you are. Yeah. And I was like, okay. <laughs> well, of course, you know, I went to school with your uh, husband. So, And she goes, no. She goes, I was having really bad hip pain. And my husband said, well, Susan has all these videos on how to do different exercises for different um, diagnoses, different pains. Why don't you try doing these? So she did the exercises that I had for hip pain. She said my pain went away. Wow. And I was I was really excited about yeah. that, that I reached somebody, you know, and was able to help them uh, with their pain by, you know, if you have this problem, do this exercise and it may help. Yeah, let's tell them where to go specifically to find, just find you. So they're pulling up Facebook. What do they search for? So I do have my business page, uh, which is Dry Needling, Rel Dry Needling Relief. Okay. But I also have my personal page, which is S, as in Susan, E as in my middle name, Elizabeth, and my last name, Brooks, B-R-O-O-K-S, zero, zero. Okay. So either look up Dry Needling Relief on Facebook or S-E Brooks, zero, zero. zero. Mm -hmm. Okay. And talk to us about Instagram and TikTok. Okay. So Instagram, same thing. I have my Dry Needling Relief one, and then I have my S-E Brooks, zero, zero. Mm -hmm. Um I think also on Facebook, you might be able to find me under Susan Brooks, but there's a lot of Susan Brooks out there. So fairly common name. Right. Um, and then uh, TikTok is S.E. Brooks zero zero as well. Okay. I try to keep it all the same. Be consistent. Yeah. Right. Where's uh, your blog located? Uh, it's on my website, which is, is? com. Perfect. So we'll state that again. Dryneedlingrelief.com. You can find her on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and her blog at her website. Those are great resources. I, I took a look at your Facebook stuff, and it, it's very um, informative and helpful. I, I would highly recommend people go there, watch a few of your videos, read a few of your posts to get a better idea of what you do and how you can help people. Um, 
thank you for joining us today. Yes. Uh, we've talked about a lot of different things. Like I can say, personally, I'm a proponent of dry needle needling. It helped me. And next time I need it, hopefully I won't. I'm certainly going to come to you. Great. Yeah, I would love to be able to help. Absolutely. Um, at this point, I have three questions for you. Okay. Are you ready? Ready. All right. This segment of three questions is brought to you by our nonprofit, See Good to Be Good, which aims to act as a source of hope, motivation, and inspiration to help folks achieve their dreams. We're currently accepting donations of time or money to help fund our needs-based scholarship to help a young person pay for their education in the arts. If you'd like to help, please let us know. Question number one, why are you successful? Because I care about my patients. Short and sweet. Mm -hmm. And why are you happy? <laughs> because I'm doing what I love. Yeah, I like it. Final question, what obligation do you feel to help other people? Ooh, obligation. I don't, I don't feel obligated to help people. I just, it's something that I want to do. I just, I love helping people feel better. So you do it for selfish reasons, right? It makes I, you, it I ma do. You're <laughs> right. You're right. Because it makes me feel good. That's right. Yeah. That's great. Thank you for that. Um, Thomas Edison is a big influence of mine. And he once said, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Yes. <laughs> so I'm assuming uh, based on your life story, persistence is a common theme, right? Very much so. I, uh, I, I try not to um, um, take no for an answer even if it's to myself. Yeah, I like that. Uh, if you would like to be a guest on our show or you would like help creating and or distributing your own podcast content, please contact us for more information. I'd like uh, right now to take a moment to thank myself because without me, none of this would be possible. I script and cast the show, host and produce the show, and edit and distribute the show online to eight platforms. I know I'm a little biased, but... I want to thank myself. <laughs> yeah, no, you, this is great. Yeah, and let's take a minute to recap here. Our guest today was Dr. Susan Brooks. She's a physical therapist. Her practice is Dry Needling Relief. They're located near 64 in Blankenbaker, across from Southeast uh, Christian Church. And give us all your pertinent information, your phone number, your website again, um, email. What's the, what's the ideal way for someone to find you and interact with you? Okay, so my phone number is 815-501-4125. Um, I've had it for 20 years. I'm not going to get rid of it. Okay. Uh, my email is drsusan at dryneedlingrelief. And then my website is www.drynedlingrelief.com. You can get a hold of me on any of those platforms. Um, and then also, if you go to my website... There is actually uh, two buttons there. One that says clicks that says make an appointment, and the other one is talk to a PT. So either one of those as well. And what does that initial consultation look like? Is that um, a free consultation to kind of get to, to know the cli client and see if you can help them, or what does that process look like? The initial uh, consultation is a 20 to 30-minute evaluation head-to-toe. It is $75. I usually have people do a $50 deposit, and that's just so, you know, I've, I've used that time slot. Your so. time is valuable. You could be helping someone else. Correct. Yeah. Um, and then uh, from there, we talk about the plan of care and how much it costs, and I, I generally roll over that $50 into whatever we go from there. $50, to 70, $50 deposit, $75 consulta consultation fee is very reasonable. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. 
All right. Well, I'd like to thank our guest again, Dr. Susan Brooks, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank our listeners and our sponsors for making this podcast possible and hopefully successful. And we will see you real soon on a future episode of the Respect the Math podcast.